You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself Ritwik the host for the show and today I'm joined by our special guest Stephen Brandt who's written a book on Boca Juniors very very recently. I definitely think you should go ahead and buy it because he's a really good writer. and he's an amazing guy as well so welcome Stephen to the podcast well welcome i mean it's fun glad to hear you on this and instead of all the massive amounts of messages and emails you and i send back and forth to each other three or four times a day almost and we're on yeah. completely different sides of the world at this point yeah absolutely it's it, it's like 10 hours difference i guess from the us and india oh yes yeah obviously so steven i mean i hope how you're doing there i mean you're, you're doing well there with all the covid and the stuff going on the pandemic i think the voting's also begin for the elections but yeah boca juniors that's the topic for the podcast today and my first question for you would be what was the whole reason behind writing book on boca juniors why boca uh, juniors well i mean obviously it is to talk to you of course but um but part of part of it was because i had been threatening to write a book for years i think at least 15 or 20 i mean i'm in my 40s So when I started when I started doing when I started writing this I've gotten to a point where I had really m- much written a lot of history over in Europe and I didn't see much outside of Tim Victory in South America that was in English. So I looked around and there's still I mean there's still mounds and mounds of stuff you can do in South America but it stunned me when I did, started doing this how little on Boca Juniors there was in English. I mean, they don't even have an English account that they use. Now, I mean, my friend down in Staten Island, Gabriel Aguero has a website, a blog, and well, he has a blog, website, and a podcast about this, but I really started before he did the did the book, the book. I mean, did the blog, but I wanted to get something out that was an introduction to it. and it just felt it just felt when i started looking at the team i had to sit on it for a month just to see if it felt good because i didn't want to be that american that is famous team has lots of trophies i'm now the lifetime fan of them woo yeah and uh, i mean this was one of our patron questions to be honest from dito van gook one of our patron but since you spoken about i mean why or what was the motivation behind writing a book on boca juniors my second question probably would be it's a club with you know a big big history there's there've been you know great footballers from this football club i mean i, I guess it was i i just read this somewhere in an article where they said that boca juniors used to kind of buy a lot of players pre 1980s or you know pre, pre those period where uh where river actually got the better out of better of them mostly and river used to dominate but since then they've started building their academy and stuff so i, I mean diego maradona one of the greatest footballers of all time 
probably or arguably the greatest of all time as well i know a lot of people will pitch in leo messi pele cristiano ronaldo but that's why the word arguably stands there but players like diego maradona riquelme carlos tevez ever banega ever banega was part of the youth academy as well so you have players like this coming into europe or you know being a global icon in football so stephen in your opinion who do you think were some of the i mean obviously there will be best players there will be some underrated players who are not known by a lot of people around so if you had to classify some a few best players and few underrated or few unknown players who you think you know were a major major part of building what boca juniors were who do you go with well i mean you got to also remember that you also got to remember that post 80s there wasn't really much for them to do because they sold they sold maradona on the on to barcelona and they didn't really develop maradona he came from argentino junior so it was kind of one step and there's some creative transfer between transferring between those three clubs that someone could do a long article on but i mean the early part of this century is one of the big boom times for the club but there's a lot of players that nobody knows about which is kind of weird because you could put maradona up there but then you also have a bunch of goalkeepers you've got hugo gatti who's one of the best most kept capped players in Argentina, Salvino Marzaloni, one of the best left backs in in South America history. You have Antonio Rattan, basically a midfield destroyer at that point. Um you have obviously Rakelmi, you have um Varan was there briefly at that time. Martin Palermo is the all-time leading scorer at the club and he's still very well thought of. Um Roberto Soon, um let's see here. What else? just if you look at the World Cup people that were there, Marzellini, Rattan, Maradona obviously. Um Fernando Gago came through at least once. Pato, Roberto Ad, Adam Azari, the goalkeeper on those multiple Copa Libs in the early part of the century, was there. Um, Tevez has been here three or four times, and probably if he was still a little bit younger, he'd go another two or three. Sebastian Bataglia is there. There's a lot of players that you don't really get that were came through Boca and that you look, wait a minute, they were there? Cool. We'll take it yeah and i mean yes boca juniors kind of or you could say now in 2020 i think boca juniors is a club who's like known around the world even in india here I, i don't know if a lot of people knew about the club maybe 10 years back or you know 15 years back because obviously the internet wasn't as popular and twitter wasn't as popular so you don't get the videos or the articles or the news or you know you you don't have as much as independent you know journalists or independent blogs or blogs or whatever uh, you you didn't have those things back then so obviously people here or people maybe even in europe as well might might have not been known as much as it is today but stephen asking you on boca again i mean what do you think was their impact on the national team because they are one of the premium clubs there in argentina obviously in south america as well but what was their influence on the argentina national team on the albiceleste well i mean obviously when you have any big team in a country they're going to um 
put players through to the national team. I mean, Maradona managed them. I'm sure if I'm sure if people dig back on the Argentine national team, like Stephen Stephen John does, you could probably find five or six. But every time there has been a, a Argentina in the cup, in the World Cup finals, there's been one or two players. And of course, the most well-known World Cup instant in well my lifetime is the hand of God play. That's Maradona when he. Now, obviously, he was not with Boca at the time, and he only has a little time at Boca, but that's there. And you've got Marcellini and Rattan in the 70s. And go, go ask the English about that team. They don't, they, there's a lot of hatred on that team. So for a certain sect of English-speaking people and old heads in the game, Argentina and Boca is not thought of very well because they played very hard. Because points of like the old Intercontinental Cup, the teams would come down to South America and just get mauled. Would just get mauled every single time. So I mean, they've put a lot. I mean, I'm looking at a list here of playing with that were playing with Boca Juniors, and there's at least 30, 30 people on there. Players that have come and gone, started, and all of that. I mean, Raton Marisolini, Roberto Soon came through, um, Palermo, Guy Mandel, Pato. I mean, Tevez has, put, Tevez has played on and off. So, I mean, you'll see players come in and out of the national team. Yeah, and Boca are one of the clubs of the famous Cinco Grandes, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Cinco Grandes, I guess, uh, the, you know, the holy clubs of the city of Buenos Aires. But, I mean, early in the 19th century or, or the 20th century, basically, I think Argentina saw a lot of people coming on, coming into the country from Italy. Fifth, almost, I guess, 50% of the immigrants were from Italy. And it's not, uh, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that the first kit was probably inspired from an Italian team, that is Juventus. And then Actually, it's that. not really. It's actually not really. Most of the, t- most, of the you know, most of the, fan- most of the people that came through to Buenos Aires, to at least Boca, are from Genoa, are, oh. are from the Genoa region. Now, I mean, obviously, if you, if you go with Juventus, you got to go back to Knox County because that's where that um, actually is. The kit just happened. A lot of when you dig into the where the kits come from in a lot of this world, they come from the shores of England. I mean, the Atletico, the Atletico Madrid, and Atletico Bilbao. Those jerseys, those jerseys come from Southampton because they couldn't find the um, Blackburn one. A lot of a lot of the early form of Boca Juniors is actually Scottish, which was interesting when I got into it because, and I don't know if you guys have it over there. I When I looked into this, I'm like, oh, it's just going to be the English coming over and colonizing, yada, yada, yada. And it's the same old thing. And then when I dug into it, it's Scottish, which is a lot more interesting with Italy there. So you get the duality of two different type of expressive teams and, up until maybe the mid '80s, Scott, the Scottish national team was one of the top ten national teams in the world. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you you spoke about Maradona being one of 
the greatest that obviously obviously the greatest to wear the boca shirt but i mean when he moved from boca to barcelona and that was a world record feat back then so do you have these things covered in your book as well the little incidents that happened with respect to the transfer the transfer of diego maradona and what was the whole situation there in in buenos aires back then I mean, as far as bringing him over, well, I mean, it was obvious from it was obvious from day one that he was he was going to go big. He was going to go big, and um, you're looking at Barcelona coming out of the '70s into the '80s. Barcelona is one of those cities and clubs that was really hurt by the Spanish Civil War. Franco was a noted Real Madrid fan, noted, and he went through and killed a whole board of Barcelona. So they had come through the 70s and Cruyff had gone to Cruyff had gone over to the States. So they needed that next big player. So in one in um one of the prelims to the World Cup, the president of Barcelona saw Maradona and just brought him over. It, it's a little bit different now when you transfer someone is that you you have that direct conflict direct contact it basically threw a lot of money at Boca and got Diego Maradona but he didn't really last in in um Barcelona because Athletic Bilbao the butcher the butcher Bilbao broke his leg and uh, i mean the club was established in 1905 but the first time they won the copa libertadores was in 1977 if i'm not wrong i mean yeah, took, no, you're, you're completely correct on that yeah it took 72 years for them to win the copa libertadores one of the best or you know the most respected competitions around the world i mean people see i mean i mean in this age i think people want to watch those games in the libertadores because they are feisty they are end to end they they have a lot, i mean the games have a lot of passion in it i mean that is what people call actual football that is what people want to see i mean players getting their all out on the pitch and it took 72 years for boca to win the libertadores but again they are one of the greatest teams in argentina not just uh, not not i mean not just in argentina but also in south america or the world you can say and their whole rivalry rivalry with river plate or river what what was the reason of how did it actually form how did the rivalry actually form it's just another league match they've all always been in the same leagues as each other there's no like hidden between hey let's go and have some type of hatred with this it's just the duality between the two teams is river is known as the millionaires type of teams they always have all the money and all that and boca is in a really bad area bonnesaries they are known as the are going to be put it nicely the excrement collectors to put it nicely so it's the good versus bad and there's been a lot of great clashes there there've been stadium disasters like everywhere else i mean the old firm derby there's been at least three up there so um it's been pretty even on and off and it's just been recently when um the last board for boca really stopped caring about the team 
where River started getting an upper hand, where they were winning the Copa Libs. They have that good manager on Gallardo that just should go to Europe so that River can go back to being boring again. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it wasn't always merry or, or merry-go-ride for Boca as a club, I mean, especially the finances, because they had a lot of economic struggle as well in between. I think there was a time when they couldn't even pay the fee or the transfer fee that they had to pay for for signing Diego Maradona. I, do, I don't think they they could completely pay that. And they had to, in the end, sell him. Then that that was one of the reasons why I I guess they were in a pre, they were actually under pressure to sell Maradona so early. But again, there was a huge economic struggle, like I just mentioned, and you know, there was change in ownership and stuff like that. Could you actually enlighten us a bit on those particular incidents? Well, as far as far as changing ownership, it's it's kind of fun. I, I did a pod about this about before COVID hit and shut everything down. Is that the members, if you're a member of the t- member of the the socios, you get to or get to go and support and vote for it. And it, it's weird, is that Maradona really doesn't have many much to do with Boca anymore. He will throw his name in every now and then. But Raquelme is one of the vice presidents, and he's the face of the club at this point. He's not the president. He's many steps down, but they. They use him as a face, and he can go in and still get players to come in because, hey, he's not that old, and people, we have come to see him. Yes, yes. I mean, obviously, Riquelme is one of those players who was underappreciated at one point of time in his career. I mean, he was one of the greatest or one of the most gifted footballers ever to step out on the on a football pitch, but obviously underappreciated because of a number of reasons another Boca legend but talking about uh, ownership and management Oscar Tabares the Uruguay national team coach who is a living legend he was Mm -hmm. actually appointed by Boca in 1993 so I mean what what was the whole situation under Tabares' spell for Boca it was not it was not one of the world's world world great ones because he he was there and stabilized the team. But as far as when you're talking about great managers there, you've got Carlos Bonacci, you've got a couple of the former managers through Athletic Club. I mean, Tavares is still around, which is amazing because every time I look at him, he looks like he's 100. But he did do, he did stabilize it for a bit because once, once everybody started leaving in the late 80s, you had to get you had to get more players through so i mean the 90s were weird for a lot of people and that's that's when they started getting palermo pato and a lot of the big teams that started the the ascension in the late in 2000 all the way 2007 almost and um i mean i'll, I'll just go to another patron question here from peter van Gogh, a patron so he wants he wants to ask you about your Boca Juniors eleven of all time. <laughs> oh, that's always that's always fun to look at. That's always fun to look at here. Um, there's a the problem doing something with like with Boca Juniors is that you're going to leave a lot of people out, and I'm really uneven with how I view Maradona. But let me go through roughly what it is. 
And I'm going to, I'm generally a four, three, three guy. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start it back. The goalkeeper is Hugo Gotti. He's the guy that helped win the two Copa Libs and back in the seventies, well-known goalkeeper. He went to, he went to cup finals with Argentina. He's a lot of fun. I've written about him all over the world. Um, On the back, you got Carlos Sosa, Hugo Abara. Roberto Mozo, and you have to put Silvio Marzal because best le- left back in the world. He came back and coached Maradona for a year in the late eighty, in the early eighties. Then in the in the three in the in the midfield, you got the destroyer and Antonio Rattan. Boy, English are gonna love that one. Silvio Sebastian Battaglia, one of the most decorated and Great scores the the club has had. Raquelme, of course, because Raquelme was a midfielder and he didn't really set sit in some specific role because he was kind of slow and small. Up front, this is going to be weird because I have to do this. You're going to have to put um, Maradona up front. You're going to have you're going to have to put Palermo up front, and this is the weird one. I'm going to give it Tevez up there. Tevez has been there on and off so long that you got to you got to remember he's he predates a lot of different people and he's still hanging on. So that that made me have to drop Roberto soon, who helped win titles in the seventies. But let's go with that. Yeah, and I mean I heard another funny uh, excerpt. I mean this is actually from an article. One of our writers, Rishikesh, wrote on Boca on our website. So in the early 1920s, I mean, Boca had actually made a European tour. I guess it was the first European tour when a wealthy fan named Cafarena helped them in funding hospitality and a lot of stuff. And he is one of the most fondest uh, or, or he's remembered actually very fondly by the club since then and they have even they even have deep relations for him even now they kind of call him the 12th man so do you know much about the story yeah well i I there's a whole chapter in my book about that 1925 trip because that was really one of the first articles i wrote on boca is that um and people got to remember for teams to travel in the 20s it was not easy you you needed money you needed contacts over in another side of the world, and you were on a ship for a very long time. So they got overseas, and they played pretty decently, but they're this really first South American team to come over to Europe. And not many people knew how to take them. It's the same thing we see 40 years later when Pele, when Pele starts traveling the world. I mean, we've seen the articles about him against Plymouth Argyle where People were like, who is this guy? So, I mean, that's still well known. It helped fund the club for a while because they um, brought back money, too. So, I mean, that early 1920s type of stuff is is a lot of fun to look at. And, uh, I mean, you spoke about Carlos Bianchi before, and he's definitely one of the most successful managers in Boca's history. I think winning the Libertadores tries and also winning the Intercontinental Cup or the Club World Cup as we call it right now twice and in that run his team actually beat 
the Real Madrid side of the 2000 and the AC Milan side of Carlo Ancelotti, the 2003 AC Milan side on penalties as well. So they've been a very solid or you know a very strong team even in the intercontinental level, I would say. I think they've, they've actually won the intercontinental cups a lot of times. I'm not sure exactly what is the number, but they are again another force when it comes to you know, the intercontinental stage. So the 2003 victory against AC Milan, I mean, I, I just want to know your take on the whole, the, 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 that, that whole incident or that whole, that whole tournament performance. Those whole eras are fun. I have a lot of time for the Intercontinental Cup, the World Club World Club Cup, because that is really some of the first times, especially 90s to about 2007, where you could see some, you could see that the balance had shifted to Europe. And that AC Milan team, if you look player by player by player, that is a very stacked team right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's very stacked. And for, I mean, and Boca was no pushover. So it's not like you're saying someone like uh, a small club like Tottenham coming in and beating Liverpool or a small club like Arsenal coming in and being, beating Liverpool. It's, it's what this was a classic go to go. And every one of the ones that, Boca had gone to in the Intercontinental Cup. They either won or took someone close enough to the win. So it's it's a very well thought of with Boca, but with with the English side, it's like eh, well we'll just go over and play. Yep. yep. And uh, before you know winding up the podcast, uh, Stephen, we have more a couple of more questions as well. I mean, a Boca. A Boca Juniors podcast isn't complete if we don't mention the La Bombonera because that is one of the most, what do you, how do you actually label that stadium? I mean, one of the most lively or the most lively stadium in world football or one of the most, you know, bombarding stadium in world football with fans, with the ultras. And the atmosphere there is massive and hostile for the opponents. And I mean, the, the, there are actually rumors. There were actually rumors because people who used to you know make fun of the Boca fans, there used to be actually a rumor that the La Bombonera was built on a ground where there was a brick factory and the basic in- ingredient was host manual. So mm-hmm. I is this rumor true or it's just a made up story to just make or to, to, well, to some, just make. well some of it's made up but I, I'll give you one step further my father is sort of a football fan sort of but um my dad travels he likes to every year be out of upstate New York for most of the, most of the year I'm not going to get too much into it because we don't want to vary that far off. But uh, one year he went to Argentina for three weeks and he always, as far as I've been alive back to when I was a kid, traveled and brought stuff back. He went to get, he went to La Bamadera and my dad is, my dad's a huge sports fan. He's been everywhere in the States, all these great tournaments and stuff. He was impressed with it. 
He was impressed with, and there was no one in the thing. It was just a regular like Wednesday. I'm like off, and he liked it. But you watch the games, and the thing that people don't realize about Argentina is that away fans can't go to the games. So you'll never have at La Bombardera, you won't have El Clasico with both fans there. It's all Boca all the way around. And you see those, you see that like when the players, when they win a title like they just did, they're climbing the gates in front of the fans, cheering with the fans. And it's just, you see that. And especially when you can get nowadays Google Maps. You can focus in on the stadium. And it's, I mean, they've had to improve it, improve it, improve it. And there's going to be a point with Obama Terra where they're not going to be able to do that anymore because it's kind of landlocked. But it's it's a fun thing. And I have a chapter towards the end about the building and kind of the improvements, the um, different games that were there. Because when you talk about Boca and the South America clubs, you have to talk about the fans in the stadium because it's completely different from anywhere else you know. Absolutely. I mean, this can be actually said about South American football in general as well, to be honest, right? Yeah, I mean, especially with one of the things I'm working on for the next one is um, that it's the same way all it's the same way for all of the ones down to down down there. And I, I'm just loving the South America feel of the sport. Yeah, I mean, what's there not to love in terms of football? Because it's all, I mean, whatever articles I've actually read till date, and I've not read a lot of articles on South American football. I'm just getting myself dug deep into South American football. But from what I have read already, I mean, that South American football is something that you just cannot miss or it is something that you just cannot, you know, say, okay, this is this is something I'm not interested in because that is one of the heart or that that is the heart of football, South America, obviously for me. And and I think most people here in India during the World Cup, I mean, I don't know the situation right now because right now you have a lot of Germany fans, you have a lot of Spanish fans, you have a lot of fans who support France. But back in the 90s or back in the early 2000s, it was all Argentina and Brazil. Even now you have Argentina and Brazil. And when the World Cup starts here, you can see roads painted in blue and white. You can see roads painted in green and yellow. You can see houses painted. You can see even their vehicles, the auto rickshaws painted in those colors. I mean, South American football lives and breathes around the world. And I think, obviously, yes, when it comes to international teams, Brazil and Argentina, it's it's supported all around the world. But I don't think you have the same support for the clubs because, I mean, it's obviously because of the reachability or the transparency that people have with respect to South American club football. But I, I definitely think in the future, you will have more and more people learning about the South American clubs and maybe maybe also supporting a few of them so obviously it's it's for me it's south american football is definitely the heart of football i mean i, I would say that i mean this might be an arguable take because i'm i'm also a fan of an english club and i'm actually calling south america the heart of football but that's how i feel when when i do read stuff on south american football but 
finally before ending the podcast Stephen one final question from our patron Dita Van Gogh again right now who do you think is the biggest talent at Boca Juniors who do you think might make it up top in Europe or be the next big thing There, there's not going to be for a while there's not going to be for a while here's the problem the last big one was supposed to be Christian Pavon and he fell apart after one of the world cups and is now in MLS yes in Argentina and South America, you do not get the chance to develop someone that fast because once they scout and these European clubs have scouts already in South America picking players out from like 15. Heck, Messi was picked out at 12 over to Spain. So, I mean, you got like Artur came over at like 17. So, I mean, Boca's got a great academy. It's got a great academy. It's again another another article, another part of the book, and they really develop the whole thing. But you don't know. I mean, five years ago, how much how much did we know about Kylian Mbappe? So there could be four or five people in the academy that could be going right now. It's it's cyclical down there with Boca. I mean, Villa and Eduardo Mas could go over and be bit players, but There's always players leaving uh, Boca. I mean, one of the um, Reynoso just left Boca for Major League Soccer. So at that point, you're you're gonna you're not gonna get a massive massive player anymore. You're, it's gonna be more like when Maradona left. He's gonna hit really big in a small club, get the year or two or really 18 months, and then go. It's what it is. So. I mean, that's what, what Brazil is right now. I mean, none of their national team play on, on their con, in their country. Argentina doesn't either. No, it's just find someone and find someone and bring them. I mean, that's why some of those, that's why some of those teams, when they, when they fall apart after that big cycle, people are surprised. Let the tip, let the players, let the players develop. and then take them yeah yeah that's that's actually a fair assessment to be honest I and mean, christian pavon was touted as one of the one of the next big thing but again i mean there are so many so many youngsters who who get tipped as the next big thing or the next mbappe next messi next ronaldo next whatever but they don't make it because of a lot of reasons obviously so yes i mean i think it's 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 probably fair to say that i mean you do you you can't expect anyone for a while so yes that brings us to the end of this episode thank you so much stephen for coming on to the podcast it's been a pleasure speaking to you on boca juniors or football in general because i mean what are articles you've given us for the net megasis which we have up on our website they've been really good it's been always something which honestly i've never known before i've read hugo gatti you wrote an article on hugo gatti i didn't know who hugo gatti was before that you wrote on the basques in mexico i didn't know of that before i think most people here didn't know of the, those incidents so it's always insightful it's always insightful when it comes from you so it's it's been a pleasure speaking to you on this podcast Yeah, no problem. I mean, I like to, I like to at this point. And the problem with great f- places like these football times is that they will develop, they will dive into good things. But there's so much more out there that nobody knows about. That we're in a real nice era for long-form journalism in the sport, and I, 
I half want to get I half want to get out of writing just to read it, but that itch to write is still there. So this is this is not going to be the last book you guys get from me by a long shot. Definitely, I mean we we, we expect more both from you obviously and. <laughs> Also, with respect to the podcast, I mean, it's a shame that my co-host Chris is off today. I, I, he's actually off because of some emergency. So it's it's a shame that he isn't here today because he would have enjoyed this a lot. But that's that, and hope we can have you on a podcast again soon. Oh, you will. You'll get me again. Don't worry. Yeah, definitely. So that's it with the podcast. Thank you to all our patrons, especially for. trusting us with our content we have more and more stuff coming out there is a special duo or a double article coming up on in in the in the last 10 days of this month on our website which is focused on a specific personality and it's going to be a little bit different as well so keep up or you know stay tuned because that's going to be something really interesting it's going to be a really interesting project that we are working on and Finally, thank you to all our listeners as well for tuning into the podcast as usual. Until the next episode, bye bye. Take care.